I'm very privileged to be ending this series here. Uh, I, I'm glad that, that he allowed me to do it. I believe that, that God has got something for you. If he hasn't already spoken to you today, um, because there's been a lot of words going around, there's been a lot of spirit, he's got something for you through this. Um, and, and I believe that, I, that personally, God gave me some earth-shattering news for us today. He's given me a couple of things that are really just going to probably blow up your whole theology about who you believe God is. And so I'm going to give it to you, but before I do, look in your outline. Underneath the scripture, it says, how do you truly believe God feels about you today? Now, I'm not going to take these up. No one's going to see them. So I want you to be honest I want you to look at it. I want you to answer the question with all honesty. How do you believe right now to this day, right here in this moment, how do you believe God feels about you? Do you believe he's angry with you? He's disappointed at you? He's upset with you? Maybe you feel like God has has loved me and, and, and everything's great. Don't answer with Christianese talk, okay? Don't answer with what you think I want you to say. Answer it with how you honestly believe God feels about you. I believe that the news that I have, the words that I have for you today, because we're going to finish up with the other son, as the title talks about in your outline. We're going to finish up with the other son talking about the older son in in the story But I believe that if you don't look at this story through the eyes of the person telling the story, you might miss the entire meaning. Yes, it's it's a great story of redemption. It's a great story of a son that's lost and comes back. It's a great story for you kids who leave home too early and you get wrapped up in all the mess and then you got to come back home to God. But that, to me, seems to be like some of the surface I think the whole, the whole big idea, the major theme behind the story is this. God is happy, and he is love. Now, I know we hear that. We, we hear God is love, and we hear that he's happy, and people say it all the time. That, that's not really a big deal. I think you're wrong. I think it's a huge deal. Because if you don't understand that God is happy with you, you can't serve him right. If you don't believe God loves you, then you can't worship him right. If you think that God is constantly angry with you because of all the screw-ups, and you are the one, and because you are the one screwing up everything, then you're not getting it. And you're missing the whole point. The gospel is what? Good news. The gospel is good news. The gospel is good news. It's not something about where you just learn, where God sends the Bible and he teaches you how to live better and walk better and be more righteous. No, it's good news. It's good news. 
The victory is over. In fact, that's where this word comes from. The victory is yours because that's what they would call it when the person would run from the battlefield and go to the city and say, hey, it's over. We won. He was the evangelist. That's the good news of Scripture. It's won. The victory is yours. You, the, the victory is already done for us. God is not sitting in heaven with a scale, one being good, one being bad, and putting a chip in a good and a chip in a bad every time you do something. And it's not that you hope that your good outweighs your bad in the end. Throw up that picture. That is not God. But we have that picture. We see that picture right there, and we go, God is sitting up there with a lightning bolt ready to strike me when I do something bad. That is not good news, folks, and that is not God. In fact, that is a picture of a fictional God that was created called Zeus. And if that's your image of God, erase it. If that is your image of who you think God is, erase it. Get it out. The next picture. That is not God either. We're going to go both sides of this. That is not God. That is Santa Claus, for those of you that are listening. That is Santa Claus. And let me tell you this. He may know whether you're good or bad, but your salvation doesn't depend on whether you make his list or not. It is not about you being good and you being bad or you being more good or you being less bad. It is about God's good news that he gave you the victory, that he saved you because he loves you. You don't believe me. I know you don't. God is happy. Whether or not you are called a child of God is not based on that list and is not based on Zeus. It is based on the fact that God is happy. Look at Psalms 18, 19. Psalms 18, 19 says, he brought me into, out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Think about it for a minute. He brought you out into a spacious place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. God is happy with you. He is not cosmically distressed and in frantic mode because you're not listening to what he's telling you to do. He is happy. And he delights in you. Think about that first part. He brought me into a spacious place. And when I read that, I think of an open field. And you may go back to some movie when I say this. But think about an open field, and you've got the kids in the open field, and they're just running. They're having fun. The daddy's out there. He's rolling around. He's wrestling with them. He's putting them on the tire swing. He's climbing the tree with them. That's God. That's what David is saying, is he took me, and he put me in a spacious place, wide open, and we can have fun together because he delights in me. I know God, God loves us so much that he puts us where he can play with us. I know God is love, and I know you've heard that over and over and over. We say it all the time as Christians. It's just, it just becomes some, some phrase that we say, like, God is good all the time, brother. 
you know, I, I love it. I know God is good all the time, and I, and I appreciate that. But we say that so often, it becomes so familiar with us that it loses the meaning. Just like the word love. Oh, I love Oreo cookies, and I really do. But it's nowhere near the same kind of love that I have for my wife. And it's nowhere near the same love that I have for my son and for my three daughters. But we use that word so often that it just begins to lose its power. God is love. God is love. Now, for you to get that, you've got to understand what love is. It's not a love for Oreo cookies. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and, and I know this is, this is the love chapter. And we go, oh, he's, here we go. Here's the love chapter. But we have to understand that God is not just calling us to deliver on the love chapter. God is the love chapter. Now, we don't believe it. I'll tell you why we don't believe it. Because look at the first one. Love endures long and is patient and is kind. We don't think God is all of that stuff. We believe that when we mess up, God's ready to strike us down with a lightning bolt. God is long-suffering. He is patient. My kids, when they grew up, some of them are still growing, they go through stuff. They do stuff the wrong way. You know, sometimes it's the wrong way according to dad, and sometimes it's the wrong way according to mom, but it's the wrong way nonetheless. Do I disown them and berate them and tell them you're horrible, you are an evil person, you, you stink at life? And No. Now I may get frustrated because I'm not God. I'm not as patient as he is. But God is sitting there. When we mess up, he is long-suffering, which means he goes, you know what? They're going to get it. <laughs> Angels, they're going to get it in a minute. It's, it, it's going to happen. You know, when my kids are learning to walk, when Alyssa or Isabella fell down, I didn't go, oh, you, you stink. You're never going to get this. No, I go, come on, baby, get up. You can do it. You can do it. Come on, come on, come on, you can do it. We don't think God does that with us. We think God, as soon as we're saved, God wants us raising the dead people. And let me tell you, you can be free from that if you'll just listen and hear that God is love. If you didn't raise somebody from the dead today, it's okay. He still loves you. He still loves you. He is still happy with you. Let's go on. Go to verse 7. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Does that not sound like a parent to you? Come on, baby. You can do it. I know you're going to make it. I know you're going to make it. It bears everything. It's hopes are fadeless under all circumstances and endures everything without weakening. See, we think if we pile on all of our sin that God's love somehow fails us and he won't hold us up. But this says love endures everything without weakening. That means there is not one weak point in it and God is love. That is the love that our Father has for us. Love never fails. It never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. That is our God. That is what love is. And then what does this have to do with the prodigal son? Well, you 
are his son or daughter. You are his son or his daughter. He delights in you. And if we go back to our story, both sons, in your outline, both sons had the same problem. Both sons had the same problem. They both thought that they could earn or lose the love of the Father based on what they did. And if we're honest with ourselves, we believe the same thing. We believe it. Because as soon as we do something bad, we go, oh, he's mad at me. He's mad at me. Oh, what am I going to do? Oh, no, 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 he's mad at me. But he's happy with you. You are his son. You are his daughter. And his love and salvation is not based on your actions. It is not based on you. It is not some eternal flower game that we play. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. Ooh, I did good. He loves me. Ooh, I did bad. He loves me not. No, it is about his love being eternal forever. That's what it's about. So when we sin, he doesn't hate you. When we do bad, he doesn't disown you. He loves you. Look at Romans 5, 8. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, he died for us. I'm going to let that sink in for just a second because you've got to hear that. While we were still sinners, he died for us. While you were still his enemy, he died for you. Now, if he did it while you were his enemy, what do you think he's going to do now that you are his son or his daughter? Do you think he's going to disown you now because you mess up? No, he died for you while you were still a sinner. While you had your back completely turned against God, he died for you. That is love, y'all. Y'all got it. He has so much love and so much happiness that he wanted to share it with you. It also says in Romans that it was his good pleasure that he died for you. It was because he delighted. It was his pleasure. Yeah, everybody been to Chick-fil-A? I love Chick-fil-A. I love that they're closed on Sundays, but, man, I hate that they're closed on Sundays. But every time you go through Chick-fil-A, they made it a point when you're done being served, what do they say? It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure to serve you. You want some sweet tea? Sure, it's my pleasure. You want your chicken sandwich without pickles? Sure, my pleasure. You want yours with cheese and ketchup and bacon like I like mine? Sure, it's my pleasure. Now, that's a simple simile, simple, but put that towards God. Oh, you need me to die for you? Sure, it's my pleasure. Oh, you need me to save you from the pit of hell? Oh, sure, it's my pleasure. You need me to love on you because nobody else does? Oh, yes, that's my pleasure. You need me to bless you today? Oh, yes, that's my pleasure. It was his pleasure that he did those things for us. He chose you. He didn't choose. Get this. He did not choose the person that you are going to be. He chose you. 
He didn't choose the perfect person that you're going to be. He chose you. Now, my older two kids will tell you that all the time we tell them, my wife and myself, we chose you. My son is adopted. I chose to adopt him. I chose it. My oldest daughter, I chose to marry her mother, which means I chose to have her as my daughter. I chose it. That carries some weight, y'all. He picked you out and said, nope, that one's mine. Oh, no, that one's mine. And the whole time he's smiling, he's happy, he's loved because it's his pleasure. He delights in us. You say, well, I can't do anything right. He says, you are my son, you are my daughter, and that is right. So what if you can't do anything right? Just be mine. That is right. So you are an alcoholic. So what? So you are an adulterer. So what? He chose you. He chose you. You are free from that stuff. You are free. So what? You fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and you can pray 364 days out of the year. God says, I still love you just like the person that can't fast for 24 hours. Because I delight and I chose you. I chose you. It doesn't matter if you were saved at age three or 103. The Father chose you. He chose you. When my five-year-old, and I love her to pieces, in the morning, she started kindergarten, and in the morning, we have the same routine. We get up, we get dressed, we eat breakfast, then we go brush our teeth, get our shoes, get a backpack, lunchbox, and we're ready to go out the door. My five-year-old don't understand that. When I tell her, okay, you're done breakfast, Go brush your teeth. Well, the dog gets petted and played with. Hey, puppy, where I love you, Captain Jack. Alyssa, go brush your teeth. Okay, Daddy. Go in the room. Some toy gets picked up and played with for a minute. Alyssa, are you brushing your teeth? Oh, I'm going. Okay. In the bathroom, brushing her teeth after she sings and dances for about 15 minutes. Now, I'll tell you, this week was awesome because she actually came up and sang to me while I brushed my teeth this week. But, but I love it. Sometimes I'll sit there at the door and I'll just listen to her sing. Listen to her just sing. And, and a lot of times, not all the time, sometimes it's so, just some silly song she's making up. Sometimes it's praise. But to me, it's all glorious. Again, equate that to the Father. He tells you, now I need you to tithe. Okay, okay, Daddy, I'll tithe. I'll tithe. Well, you know, I got I to gotta go pay this. But I need you to tithe. Okay, Daddy, I'll tithe. Well, but you know, I got to, well, I praise you, Lord. Yeah, but I need you to, okay, Daddy. Well, let's take it anything. I need you to go pray for this person. Okay, I'll go pray. Let me get me a drink first. Uh, Okay, I'll go pray. Oh, hey, how are you doing? You doing all right? Yeah. Oh, I had a great football game. It was awesome. Okay, Daddy, I'm going to go pray. And then we look at him, and and we think he's getting up there going, okay, I'm getting ready to strike you down. If you don't go do it, I'm getting ready to, I'm getting, no, he's going, they're going to get it. 
They're going to get there. It'll eventually get done. Now, I know when the bus is coming down the road and I'm going, Alyssa, hurry up, please. You got to go. I'm on a schedule. I'm on a time limit. We got to get you out the door. But that doesn't mean she's any less my daughter. It doesn't mean that I'm any less pleased with her, happy with her. God is love. He loves you, not who you are going to be. He loves you, not who you're going to be. Now, let's go on to the story in Luke chapter 15. And for the sake of time, I'll skip down to where I'm, I should be. I was going to read the whole thing, but we'll, we'll skip down. Starting in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing, and so he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he, is, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father says, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. Do you see what I mean? The older brother had the exact same problem as the younger brother. The younger brother comes home and says, I'm not worthy of, of being your son because of all the bad stuff that I've done. The older brother says, I should have everything because I did all of this stuff. And the father says, wait a minute. It's not about what you did. It's not about what he did. My son who was dead is home. You should celebrate in that. My son who was not with us is now home. And notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, well, Jim has come home, so you should be happy. Well, Bob came home, and now we're going to, no. He said, my son is home. Even when he was far off in the distant land, he still said, he is my son. God is saying to both kinds of children, he says to the one who has so much shame and misery and self-loathing, he does not even believe he's worthy to be called his son, he says, go get a robe and put it on him. Kill the fatted calf and let's throw down because my son is home. He didn't say Timmy or Jim or Bob. He said, my son. He says, look how I see you. Look at what I think of you. I'm covering you with my clothes. No matter the shame, no matter the stuff that you've done, the son comes home and he says, I'm not even worthy. And the father doesn't even respond to that. He says, I cover you with who I am. I cover you with who I am. He doesn't even respond to that. And then the father turns to the one who says, look what I did for you. I did this. I prayed. I fasted 364 days out of the year. I prayed for 23 hours every day. Even when I was sleeping, I was praying, God. And he says, didn't you know? Everything I have is yours. You don't have to stack up all of these things to try to earn your salvation. You are my son. It is already yours. See, I don't think that the older son's attitude was necessarily jealousy. 
I don't think he was jealous of the younger brother. It was pride. Pride of what he had done. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've been here. I've slaved. I've, I've, you haven't even given me even a small goat, but I've slaved. I've done away. He goes away and he does this, but I was here. And the father says, you're my son. You're always with me. Everything I have is yours. No need to try to build yourself up. Listen to me. It is yours. See, we don't like messages like this. We don't like messages where we don't talk about us and what we do because we want to take pride in it. Who doesn't want to be able to stand before their daddy and say, hey, look what I did, dad. Who doesn't want to do that? I know I do. I want to be able to go to God and say, God, look at what I did. Look, look at all this stuff. Look at all the people that got saved because I sang, I played, I preached. Look at, look at all this. The whole point, though, is it's about him. And it's not about me. That's what we have to realize. It is about him. It's not about me. Paul said all of that stuff is foolishness. All of that stuff, when you try to heap up your stuff, when you try to build yourself up, the song that we sang says, I laid there, there are no more tears and there are no more crowns when I'm in your presence. Think about that. There's no more shame and there's no more victories for me when I'm in your presence because it's all about you. We just sang that song. And that's the truth. Paul said, you, I could brag on myself more than any of y'all. I kept the law more than any of y'all. I pray in tongues more than any of y'all. I do this. I do that. But he said, all of it is foolishness because it's about him and it's not about me. Now, I'm purposefully, for those of you that go, well, you know, you still got to live right, brother. You still got to do right. You still got to. Yes, I understand. And so I'm going to balance it out with this, one sentence, with this one sentence, and then I'm going to leave it alone because I don't want you focused on, well, I still got to live right. No, I want you focused on the love of God. The love of God is different from the blessings of God. Most, if not all, of the blessings in Scripture have, if you do this, then this. Okay? Regardless, he still loves you. I'm done. I'm going to leave that alone because I don't want y'all focused on that. It doesn't matter if you fasted 41 days and beat Jesus because Jesus only fasted 40. God loves you just the same as the person that can't fast for 24 hours. He still loves you just the same. You have to get the works mentality out of your life, and that's in your notes. Get the works mentality out of your life. He is not so eternally disgusted with you either. You are his son. You are his daughter. Everything he has is yours, but you have to walk in it. He accepted you because it was his good pleasure. He loves you. He has a purpose for you. There is nothing you can do today or have ever done in your past or will ever do in your future that can separate you from the love of God. Paul says, what can separate us from the love of God? And we all know it, neither pain nor affliction, height nor depth. He said, he goes on and on in all of this to say nothing. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. It's that simple. Nothing. But Paul knew that if he just said, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. We wouldn't get it. We wouldn't understand. 
And so he goes on to say, and it's uh, Romans 5, 8, excuse me, Romans 8, 35. What shall ever separate us from Christ's love? Shall suffering and affliction and tribulation or calamity and distress or persecution or hunger or destitution or peril or sword, even as it is written, for thy sake we can be put death all day long. We are regarded and counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet amid all of these things we are more than conquerors and gain a surpassing victory through him who loved us. For I am persuaded beyond doubt that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things impending or threatening, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is trying to so overwhelm you that you understand this point, that there will never be anything that can separate you from the love of God. There will never be anything that can separate you. Eka, will you come on up, please? You can't earn it. You can't unearn it. And I don't even know if that's a word, but you can't earn it and you can't unearn it. Everything he has is yours through Jesus. I think I might close with this. Galatians 4, 6 through 7 says, And because you are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Read that again. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son heir and joint heir with Christ crying Abba Father Abba Father we have to understand that when you understand that you are a son you are a daughter and you operate as a son or a daughter the spirit of sonship that comes out of you is crying out, is screaming, Abba, Father. Romans 8, 15 through 17 says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You have not received. Listen to me. If you've been set free from something, if God saved you, whether it was lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, alcoholism, pornography, anything else that you can name, you have not received the spirit of bondage and of fear. You are set free. You have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You are not a servant anymore. I mean, in fact, if we look at Jesus' life, if we look at what he did on the cross... We go back to the Old Testament, 
In the Old Testament, God said, have you noticed my servant Job? And then it says, when he talked about Moses, they met together and sat as friends. And then he goes to David and he says, this is a man after my own heart. But when we get to Jesus, Jesus says, call him father. You're no longer a servant. You're no longer a friend. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are not a slave anymore. Because you have received the spirit of adoption, you cry, Father. Today, the Holy Spirit is wanting to witness to you that you are a son, that you are a daughter. You belong. You belong to him because of what Jesus has done. Not what you did, not what you didn't do, but him because of what he did. When you're in the pig pen, you're still a son. When you're going through the mess, the fire, the flood, you're still a son. You're still a daughter. When you're on the mountain and everything's going perfect, you're still a son. You're still a daughter. He's trying to tell you that you are his. And it's because of Jesus. 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 He is the reason. He is the reason. Again, I told you, Job was a servant. Moses was called a friend. David, a man after my own heart. But Jesus said we are called sons. In fact, he says in John 17, in John chapter 20, verse 17, he says, he's talking to Mary. He's risen and Mary's clinging to him. She's so excited. He says, don't, don't cling to me, but go tell my brothers that I am risen, that I will be going to our God, to my God and your God, that I'll be going to my Father and your Father. Before this, every other time he talked to, about the, the, the disciples, they were, you're no longer servants, but you're friends. But when the resurrection happened, he said, go tell my brothers that I will be ascending and I'll be going to my God and their God. And if we go back to Galatians chapter 4, Verse 4 through 5. It says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. You belong. Not because of what you've done. And you can't not belong because of what you're going to do. Now, as he's playing, I'm going to open up the altars. Because I want you to walk out of here walking in the childhood of God, your Father. Understanding that he loves you and that he is happy with you. Everyone stand. If you are struggling with that right now, I ask you to write a question or answer a question at the first of the outline. And if you are honest with yourself, and I don't know because I'm not going to see your paper and I'm not going to ask anybody to look at your paper, 
But if you were honest with yourself and you wrote down, I believe God is angry with me. If you wrote that, then I need you to come up to the altar. If you wrote down, I believe God is disappointed with me. God is ashamed of me. God is not happy. Then I need you to come to the altar. If you didn't write it down, but that's what you truly believed, you were just too scared to write it down because you didn't want to admit it, then come to the altar. God is happy with you. God loves you. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Father, I just pray your anointing in this place. pray that your Holy Spirit would, would reveal to us that we are sons and we are daughters. That we cannot work too hard and earn it. And we can't work too little and not receive it. That it is ours and everything that you have is ours. Oh, Lord. If you need prayer, because you waver in that. Sometimes you believe you're his son. Sometimes you don't believe you're his daughter. If sometimes you think I'm worthy. Sometimes you think I'm unworthy. If sometimes you, you feel depressed and you feel down because you've messed up and you think God's ready to throw the lightning bolt at you. If you've ever felt that way, you can come. And the Father says you're mine.